0: Thank you for the opportunity to speak live to your people. And as as I speak this live to them, I speak live unto me also. Father, I cannot do it on my own. I depend and yield on you, the Holy Spirit, who is the teacher. You are the strengthener, And so, Father, at the impulse of your word, I will simply open my mouth, and you will give me the utterance. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, let them be acceptable unto you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody says, Amen. If you have the Bible, please open with me to the book of John, gospel according to St. John, chapter one, the first chapter of the book of John. And I'm going to be reading from verse 14. If I can get to that soon. The book of John, chapter 1, verse 14. And it says And the world became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And I'll jump to verse 16. John records that for of his fullness, of whose fullness? The fullness of Christ. Full of grace and truth. He says, we have all received and grace upon grace. Verse 17 For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. We see immediately in those verses that there are two concepts that John introduces to us and that is the concept of law, the concept of grace. In other words, there are two systems in which we can operate Either the system of law or the system of grace. Jesus came full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Not half and half. Everything that he did, everything that he taught, his relationships with his disciples, with his enemies... With the Pharisees, it was all filled with grace and filled with truth. Jesus said, the words that I speak, they are life." Now, what is a law system? The Bible says that Moses, that the law came with Moses. The law came with Moses. And so my job in the time that I have is to compare these two systems and to contrast them. I want you to know the meaning of the law system. What it entails to be in the law system and what it means to be in the grace system. Let me define what the law system is. Can you open with me to the book of Deuteronomy Chapter 28, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 28, and I'm going to read from verse 1. It says, now it shall be, if you will diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments, which I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high. Above all nations of the earth. Verse 2. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you will obey the Lord your God. Alongside that, drop down to verse 15. But it shall come about if you will not obey the Lord your God. To observe, to do all his commandments and his statutes with which I charge you today, that all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. So from these few verses, I would attempt to define the law system as a system of performance which God himself has set up to bless those that meet its requirement and then to curse those that do not, a system of performance that God himself has set up to bless those that meet the requirements of the law, and then to punish or to curse those that do not. It can also be a system that you and I, a person operates based upon his own set of standards, upon his own laws. And I know that we like to make standards for ourselves. It is an achieving system. It is a performance system. In other words, your blessings or your acceptance from God depends on your performance. If you perform well, you are blessed. If you don't perform well, you are cursed. What is a life that is filled with the law for a believer? Now, I would take time to explain this so that we will understand it. Bible says that if you hold on to my words, you are my disciples indeed. You will know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. I want to bring us to a place where we can really appropriate the benefits of grace. Appropriate that benefit and enjoy the life, the abundant life that Christ came to give us. Bible says, Christ came that he might do what? Give us life and give it in abundance. So what is the life? What is the lifestyle of a, a lawful believer? And I'll take you to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, verses 18 and 19, just two verses. Where Paul records his struggles as a believer, but depending on the law. Depending on his own resources. Romans chapter 7, verses 18 and 19 reads. For Paul says, I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For the wishing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I wish, I do not do, but I practice the very thing that I do not wish. And if you did notice that it's all filled with I, I, I. In other words, a lawful life is a life that depends on my own resources, my own intellect, my own strength to live the godly life. And the law system is focused on my resources as a person, not on God's resources. Paul says, that the desire to do good is there in me. But the power or the empowerment to implement it is not there. The things I wish to do, I do not. But the things I do not wish to do, these are the things that I do. In fact, in the theological field, this is always called the defeated Christian's life a defeated Christian's life. But I want you to live in victory. Amen? I want you to live in victory in 2014. The, the characteristics of a lawful life, as Paul found out, is misery and frustration. Misery and frustration. Here, Paul, oh wretched man that I am, Wretched man that I am. Paul didn't say, what a sinner I am. He said, oh, wretched man that I am. Wretchedness means misery. I am miserable. I am frustrated. Because the things I want to do, I do not. Because I'm using my own resources. Notice again, Paul says, who will deliver me from this bondage? Paul did not say, what do I need to do? What do I need to do to deliver me from this bondage? Paul recognized that it is not another type of performance that will deliver him, but only one person will deliver him, and that is Jesus Christ. And so he says, Who will deliver me? Say, thank God through Jesus Christ. Thank God through Jesus Christ. A lawful life is also a curseful life. Curse. See, you are It's a curseful life. And I say this because when I read Deuteronomy chapter 28, there were the listings of blessings. And there were also the listings of curses. And therefore, we ought to be careful when we invoke the blessings of Deuteronomy chapter 28. If you pray that prayer, you are in effect Agreeing with the fact that if you disobey, that you are going to be cursed. Amen? That was applicable to the children of Israel. Amen? Applicable to the children of Israel when they were going to enter into the promised land. It is not applicable to us, the New Testament believers, because we have been delivered from the curse of the law. Amen? Amen? Now, there is one other property or characteristics of a curseful life. Because the focus is on performance, the focus is on achievement. You tend to control the behavior of others. Because when my sense of value or my sense of significance depends on the behavior of others. I would do everything to fix them because that is where I get my kicks. As long as you do well, I am okay. And so we tend to control. We tend to manipulate so that when they behave well, I have my sense of value. I have my sense of significance. And so a costful for life is characterized by control, by manipulation. We are trying to usurp the work of God. Because it is only God who can fix. I cannot fix anybody. You cannot fix anybody. Amen? You can't even fix yourself. It is only the grace of God that can fix you. If you cannot fix yourself, how can you fix others? You cannot give out what you do not have. Jesus, while he was on earth, he taught on the graceful life. He taught on truth. He not not only taught on these things, but he lived it out. The scripture, the gospel is replete. By Jesus' demonstration of the graceful life. And time will not permit me to go into that. But all of his relationships with his disciples, he demonstrated grace. The Bible says that gracious words, gracious means pleasant, it means delightful, it means life making words, were flowing out of his lips. He went about doing good. Matthew records this of Jesus Christ. He said, Jesus, he will not break a bruised reed. He will not break a bruised reed. He will not break a soul that is broken, that is contrite on account of sin, a soul that is weeping and mourning for transgression. He will not be severe on such souls. He will not be cruel. Instead, he will heal that soul. He will pardon that soul. He will give that soul strength. He will not put out a smoldering wick. A smoldering wick is a symbol for weakness, for feebleness. Jesus was so gentle that a wick that is smoldering, that is smoking, is not going to snuff the life out of it. Rather, he would treat us, the weak Christians, Not harshly or unkindly, but he will cherish the feeble flame that is in us. And he will found it with the oil of grace, so that we will blaze. Amen? Let me give you some truths about the law system. Who is under the law system? Every person that is born of Adam... Who is still in Adam, who is not in Christ? Every unbeliever, every unsaved person, every non Christian is under the law system. The believer is not under the law system. But the believer can bring himself under the law system and begin to act as though he is under the law system. What can the law not do? The law cannot give you life. The law can. The law cannot change your identity. The law cannot make you righteous. It cannot make you acceptable to God. That is the law system. Now, it sounds so bad for the law. Then what is the purpose of the law? Why did God give us the law system? The Lord gave us the law system in order to reveal sin. The Lord gave us the law system so that non-Christians may know that their identity is that of a sinner. You see, without the law, sin goes undetected. Without the law, sin goes undetected. The purpose of the law was to show non-Christians that they needed something more than the law in order to have a relationship with God, and that is Christ. Galatians three twenty-four tells us that, that the law was a tutor, The law was a tutor. The law was a teacher to lead us to Christ. And now that we have found Christ, we no longer need the law. What happens when a person attempts to live under the law system? Because many of us attempt to do that. What happens when a person attempts to live under the law system? Romans 4.15 says that the law brings wrath. The law brings wrath. Anger. And that is why many people are always angry because they are always looking for ways to make people keep rules. Because we cannot keep rules. And if you don't keep rules, the next thing is to be angry. The law, hmm, this is serious. Romans 7 5 says that the law arouses evil passion, the law arouses evil passion. In other words, it arouses the desire to sin. The law arouses the desire to sin. First Corinthians 15-56 says that the power of sin is the law. Sin, the power of sin is the law. The law was never intended by God, to stop us from sinning. Many Christians do not understand this, that the law was never given, it was never the intention of God that the law would stop us from sinning. In fact, the law stirs up rebellion in us. It was um, a joke that I used to hear in those days. That Moses, when he was given the law before, even he brought it down that the law was broken. Because out of anger, he broke the tablet. The law was never given with the intention that we should stop sinning. Now, those that attempt to perform the law, and sometimes they perform it. What happens to them? You see self-righteousness. You see pride in them. For those that try to perform. And those that do not perform, guilt and condemnation. Guilt and condemnation. Now, what, what is it like to be married to Mr. Law? What is it like to be married to Mr. Law? And this can go the other way. To Miss Law. Mr. Law will always tell you what to do. Mr. Law is a taskmaster. Mr. Law, when he tells you what to do, he would never lift his finger to help you do that. (laughs) Mr. Law will always show you where you have failed. Mr. Law will never congratulate you. He will never affirm you when you have performed. You know, when I was making this note, I remember that, have you ever been stopped by... A traffic, a traffic policeman. When you have been stopped several times, I need to. My sometimes my, my my left my, or my right foot is so heavy that when I push on that pedal, it flies. Amen. And so when they stop me, they only stop me when I failed, when I've not performed the law. And there are times that I try to keep at the speed limit. Have you ever been stopped by a policeman when you are keeping to the speed limit and say, thank you very much for what you did? No. The policeman never does that. It is only when you have failed that is when they stop you to show you that you have failed and then to punish you because you fail. Now, Mr. Law, you will never do enough to please Mr. Law. You will never do enough. Mr. Law is always perfect He's always right. Mr. Law is a perfectionist. Now, with all this, is the law bad? Is the law sin? Paul asked that question. Is the law then sin? Paul said, may it never be. No. Because the law had a purpose. The law was to reveal sin to us. The law was to tell us that we are sinners. Right. That we cannot meet God's standard. Right. Paul again says in First Timothy chapter 1, It says that the law is good as long as we follow the law lawfully. That the law is good as long as we follow the law or we apply the law lawfully. Because it is the unlawful application of the law that results in legalism. And what do I mean by legalism? Legalism it is a system whereby I am attempting to seek God's approval, to seek God's acceptance, to seek God's blessings by what I do. I am seeking God's acceptance. And therefore, the focus is on me. Legalistic people, they are never happy because anytime that they miss the law, there is anger. That is frustration. Amen? But God has delivered us from all of that. Amen. You see, the law is good. The law had its purpose. And the purpose, as I said, was to reveal the sinfulness of man. Paul in Romans says that the law came so that sin might increase. But hear me. That as sin increases, grace abounded the more. Amen? Amen? Jesus, in Matthew 5, says that he did not come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill it. All the requirements of the law, according to Paul in Romans 8, verses 3 to 4, all the requirements of the law have been fulfilled in those who are in Christ. All the requirements of the law. And so, if you want the requirements of the law to be fulfilled in you, get inside Christ. Because in him, because he fulfilled all the laws as a man, then if we have him, if we are in him, or he is in us, then that requirement has been fulfilled. There is only one law. In fact, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, it is not called laws. It is called commandments. There's only one commandment that Jesus gave. Love your God. Believe in me and believe in my Father who has sent me. Love one another. That is the law of Jesus Christ. In fact, the whole of the um, there is one word that can be used that can capture the New Testament commandments and that is in 1 John 3:20 chapter 3 verse 23. He says, believe in me and love people. Believe in me and love people. I tell you what, to believe right is to live right. When the Greeks went to Jesus and said, what shall we do to walk the works of God? It's only one thing that Jesus told them. He didn't tell them, go and pray, go and study your Bibles. He told them, believe in me and believe in the one who has sent me. To believe right is to live right. Now, I want to attempt to contrast the law system with the grace system. The law is an achieving system. Grace is a receiving system. The law says do. Grace says it is done. The law emphasizes what man does grace emphasizes what god does the lord draws on man's resources grace draws on god's resources in the law system you are living out of the flesh you are living out of your old patterns but in the grace system you are living out of the out of the life of christ in fact one of the greatest works Of grace is that Christ dwells in you. Paul says that this is a mystery that was not revealed to the people of old. And that mystery is that Christ in you, the hope of glory. If you can catch a revelation of the fact that you sitting there or me standing here, we have the life of Christ. We have the life of Christ. That our spirit is inseparably joined, intermingled with the Holy Spirit. That you are one with Christ. Paul says, you that we are one with him. He that is joined to Christ is one. We are joined to Christ. And therefore, we have the life of Christ dwelling in us. The life of Christ is yearning to be made manifest. In the law system, the law system... Deals with external regulations, rules, and standards. Yes. Grace deals with an inner heart attitude. You do things because you want to. You do things out of a desire to do it, not out of an external pressure. You see, the law, the law was simply relocated. You see, the law, when it was given to Moses, was on a tablet. Tablet. But in the New Testament, the law has been relocated to our heart. Ezekiel says that I will give you a new spirit. This is the New Testament commandment. I will give you a new heart. I will write my laws upon your heart. And then I will cause you, I will cause you to do my works, to obey me. So obedience is not me trying. It is to yield to the Holy Spirit, and then he will cause me to obey God. Paul says, walk out your salvation with fear and with trembling. And he didn't stop there, because many of us will start walking it out. But he says, no, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to do of his own good pleasures. So the willingness is from God. And then the willingness is translated into the doing. And that is from God. In the law system, we have, we must, we should, we ought to, You know, the shoulda, woulda, woulda, all of that. But in the, yes, you must do this. I should, I should have done this. That is the law system. But you know what? In the grace system, it is, I want to do it. I want to do it because there is a desire in me to do it. The law system creates bondage. It traps you. It is a life of duty. You you read your Bible out of duty. You come to church out of duty. You pray out of duty. You pray out of obligation. I am going to the church to pray because they told me to come. It is not out of a desire in you. Grace creates freedom. I want to serve God because I want to. It is not I have to. In the law system, you live from outside in. There are pressures on the outside. You are told to do it and then you do it. But in the grace system, you live from inside out. And that is how God designed us to function. God designed us to function from inside out and not from outside in. We hear from him. He, he will put a notch, he will put a word in our heart, in our spirit. And then we act it up according to his power. The door system declares that do in order to be. Do in order to be. Do in order to be blessed. But the grace system says, you are, therefore do. See, in the grace system, you are acting out of who you are. You are acting out of your identity. In the law system, you don't have an identity. Your identity is a sinner. But God changed our identity to a, a saint. You see, I, I, I often wonder when I read, uh, you know, 1 Corinthians, know the troubles that they had. You know, um, incest, adultery, right. all kinds of evil. But you know, if I were an apostle and I went to that church, I wouldn't address them saints. But Paul addressed them as saints because that was their identity. So we we live out of our identity. The worst, the worst. Um, Definition of a believer, please never call a believer a sinner who is saved from grace. Because the the word sinner is an identity term. A believer is not a sinner saved by grace. A believer is a saint who sometimes sins. There is a difference between a sinner because Paul says that we have been made the righteousness of God. We are called righteous. We are called saints of the Almighty God. He never calls us sinners. When he messed up, when Paul messed up in Romans 7, he did not say, Oh, wretched sinner that I am. He didn't say that. He says, Oh, wretched man that I am. So we are not sinners. We are saints. And when we, we sometimes commit acts of sin. The law results in defeat. But the grace will always result in victory. The Lord's operating system is try harder. Work. Put in your effort. Try harder. Work. You know, we're always on the treadmill of working. You know, try harder. But th- what does the grace system say? grace system says receive. Because it is done. Receive, trust, abide, rest in it. Trust, abide, and rest in it. Every born-again believer is not under the law. We are under the grace system. We have been taken out of the law system and put into the grace system. For us, the law was a former tutor, and his job is done. But if you find yourself still in the law system, maybe you need it because the Lord brings you to Christ. The Lord should take you to Christ. Amen. Finally, how should we respond to all of this? What are the practical aspects of this? And maybe before then, because I was looking at the time, I think I still have some time. How did God take us out of the law system? It is important you know how God took us out of the law system. You see, we, when we were unbelievers, we were married to the law. Okay? If you read Romans chapter 7, it t- verses 1 to 4, talks about uh, somebody who, ha- who is married has a jurisdiction, the husband has a jurisdiction over her, on, until when he is dead then the husband no longer has jurisdiction then she is free to marry another person if we are in grace and then we begin to take ourselves back into the law Paul says we are committing spiritual adultery spiritual adul- adultery but God took us out of that system a system that is curseful a system that binds us how did he do that? The first thing Jesus did was that as a man, he fulfilled all of the laws. He fulfilled the requirements of the laws while he was living. That Jesus is dead, he pro- provided forgiveness for all of my past, present, and future unfulfillments of the law. Amen? His death did that for me. Bible says in Colossians 3, The handwriting that was written against me, the certificate of death, that God blotted it out. He took us out of that. Next, in his death, because we were crucified with him. Paul says, know ye not that you were crucified with Christ. So the old man that was in bondage to the law, the old man that was a sinner, God killed the old man. God did not wound the old man. The old me was crucified with Christ so that the power of sin will no longer have control over me as a new creation. When he killed the old man, the old man did not resurrect. Amen? The Bible says that when Jesus resurrected, we resurrected with him in the newness of life. It says, it says, for if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. And behold, all things have become new. And so when we were crucified with Christ, now when Christ resurrected, we resurrected a new creation. No longer the old man. We resurrected the new creation, and now we are married to Christ. We are married to Christ. What does it look like to be married to Mr. Grace? You see, when we are married to Mr. Grace, all the things that the law wanted us to do, forcing us to do them, we will be doing them out of a desire, out of an empowerment. We will not need for us to tell us, do this or do that, because the law has already been written upon our hearts. And then by the power of the Holy Spirit, we we'll begin to perform those things. How do we respond to all of this? How should you and I respond to the amazing grace of God? What should we do in order to embrace, in order to appropriate the benefits of God's grace? By faith. It's as simple as that. By faith. By faith. Paul says, Know the truth. Know the truth about you. Know what God says about you. That you are not a sinner, but you are a saint. Know the truth. Don't stop there. Receive the truth. John says, out of the fullness, out of the fullness of this grace, we have received. We have received grace upon grace. Grace is to be received. It is a gift. So, receive the truth, believe the truth. Then, when you believe the truth, reckon the truth to be true. Reckon it so. Consider it as true. He says, now rest in the truth, abide in the truth, and then act on the truth. I call you this afternoon. Are you struggling with any bad habit? Are you struggling with sin? I want you to know the truth as a child of God. God says that you are dead to that sin. Amen? Amen. You are dead to that sin. Not only are you dead to that sin, but you are alive unto God. That sin has no control over you. Sin shall not be master over you. Why? Because you are no longer under the law, but you are under grace. Because under the law says do under grace, he says, it is done. It says, you will know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And if the Son of God has set you free, then you are free indeed. That sin, that habit, has no control over you. You are bringing yourself under the control of it. You have made a choice. You see, God gave us a choice. You can choose to be on my side, and you can choose to be on the other side. You see, when we were unbelievers, we had no choice. All we knew was to sin. But now you have a choice. You can either fall, embrace the grace of God, and begin to live out of it, or you don't. Are you struggling with those Christian disciplines? By Christian disciplines, I mean reading your Bible, praying, dieting, having a quiet time, church attendance, These are all good things. But when you feel, are you living in guilt and then you feel unloved by God because you don't perform these things as you ought to? You see, there should be a deliverance for you tonight. Amen? Amen? Amen. There is deliverance. God says, do them because you want to. Don't do them because you have to or you ought to. Don't do them because I stand here and say, go and read your Bible. Now, you see, to read your Bible is good. To, to give tithe is good. To pray is good. You see, but if I don't have the desire to do them, it doesn't mean that I should not do them. Yes, sir. I should do them in obedience to God. Yes, sir. Okay? That's that's you see, do them in obedience to God. However, if that is your level of spiritual maturity, I will ask that you pray and ask God to give you the desire to do those things. Yes. You see, we should not do things because we are forced to. Right. There should be an inner desire welling up in us, welling up in us to do those things. Amen. A lack of desire for spiritual things is an indication that something is wrong. If you lack the desire to do spiritual things, it That's seems right. to me something is wrong somewhere. That's right. Something, it is not that something is wrong with your identity because your identity has not changed. You are still a saint. Correct. Perhaps you are believing something wrong. Yes. You are believing a false, something false about God, about you, or about about others. That's right. And maybe God is is may be calling your attention for you to address that false belief in you. Because the truth shall always set you free. Amen. Does grace give you the license to sin? Because this has, many people have misapplied the grace of God. You say, well, I'm a believer. I'm free. And they quote Galatians 5.1. It was for freedom that Christ set me free. Of course, we are <laughs> free. We are free. We are free to sin. Do you know that? That as, as a believer, I said that in word church, and they almost stoned me that you are free to sin. But the question is, do you really have the desire to sin? Exactly. Exactly. You don't have the desire to sin if you are a believer. Amen. The desire will change. Amen. 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 Um, Thomas Assisi, one of the yes. early church fathers, yes. once said, love God and do what you want to do. Oh, that's good. He says, love God That's good. and do what you want to do. That's good. Because if you want God, that's your one time will change. Yes. Your desires will change. Yes. You will not want to go back to those things that you want. Exactly. Because your desires have changed. Amen. That is the motiv- That is the motivation of grace to live a correct life. It is not by rules, it is not by regulations, and I know that many of you have tried it in your homes. You make rules, you list them, and put them on your ref- ref- refrigerator, mm-hmm. and your children will look at it and say, wow. <laughs> now, this is the truth, because law will incite a rebellion. Hmm. It will always incite Rebellion. The only way you can get your child to do something is to tell the child, don't do it. There is always that curiosity, because that is the truth. They will do it out of curiosity, because that is the word of God. Law incites rebellion. The power of sin is the law. We don't have the license to sin. Paul asked that question. Now, shall we continue in sin, So that grace may abound. He said, God forbid. He said, don't you know that that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Has set you free from the oppression of sin and death. Amen? Your motivation to live the Christian life is to live it out of who you are. Out of the identity that you are. In fact, you look at the whole of the epistles, they start... Paul starts with who you are. He tells you you are a saint, that you are holy, that you are righteous, that you are above reproach. He tells you all of that. And then towards the end he says, now, this is who you you are, now do this. He said, the Lord God has forgiven you, you are a forgiver, therefore forgive. You have received the love of God. You have the love of God in you, Therefore, love, because you cannot give out what you do not have. Amen. Amen. Grace is always sufficient. Hmm. Grace is always sufficient. Yes. Notice, he said "is," it didn't say "was" and or "will be," because grace is it at is the present. Grace will always be sufficient. Grace strengthens us. We are strengthened in our soul by grace and not by food, the writer of, of Hebrews says. Grace is irresistible. Grace empowers us. The book of Titus chapter 2, and that will be my last reading. Um, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. It says, for the grace of God that brings salvation and to all, all man has appeared all man. to all Amen. men. Teaching them, instructing them to avoid loss, to live a godly life. You see, that word, to deny, means to get rid of. So, grace empowers us. Grace does does not say go and sin. Grace empowers you to live a godly life. And that is the amazing grace of God. This afternoon, are you struggling with anything? Mm. Have you believed the lie of the devil, the lie of Satan, that you are a sinner? Have you believed the lie of the enemy, that you are under law, you are under grace? I want you to know that you should believe what God says. Believe what God says about you. Believe that you are a saint. Believe that you are righteous. You say, hey, you don't know me. No, I know you. I know what the Spirit says about you. Amen. The Spirit says you are holy. Mm -hmm. Believe it. Don't look at your behavior. God is addressing your identity. Amen. And so I want to pray with you this afternoon. As you prepare to enter the new year, some of you might be thinking of new year resolutions. That is law. You are setting yourself up for defeat. You are setting yourself up for defeat. You've done this several times. You can only go uh, maybe January 15, and you're back to your old self. That is law. I want you to rely on the grace like of Christ. I want to pray for two groups of people. If you have listened to this and you say, I don't have the grace of God, I am not in Christ. Because every of the benefits of the grace of God is in Christ Jesus. Yes. You are not born again. You are not in Christ. I want to pray for you this afternoon. If you know that you are not born again, none of these things applies to you. You are under the law. But Jesus Christ has has made a way, has brought us out of the law, and put us into grace. I want to see your hands up while all eyes are closed. I want, you are telling me, I want to come out of the law system and get into the grace system so that I can enjoy the benefits of grace. I want to be free. Jesus Christ has set us free, not only from the power of sin, He has set us free from the law system. He has given us freedom. I want your hands up. Just raise that hand up. And if I'm, I may just plead with you, could you please come out? Thank you for that hand. Please you, Jesus. come
1: on. Listen, listen.
0: I want to pray with you. Don't be ashamed. Don't be shy. Don't be ashamed. Don't be shy. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Please, can you make a step out here? I want the church to pray with you. I want the church to agree with you. To get you out of the law system, into the grace system. So that you will enjoy the benefits. You will enjoy the benefits of God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Are there no hands? Nobody. Okay, thank you, Lord. Now, I want to pray for all of us. Father, thank you, because you have taken us out from the law system into the grace system. You have met all the requirements of the law. Therefore, I don't have to worry about keeping the law, because the law has already been written upon my heart. I keep the law because the Holy Spirit in me makes me keep them. It says that I will cause you to walk according to my statutes. Father, I rely on this. I believe this. I trust. I depend on this. I rest in this. Father, thank you. We give you praise this day. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit, may it rest upon you now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. (laughs)
1: Don't go, don't go, don't go. Yes. Amen. Normally I will not do this. You guys know that. Many people have spoken from this platform and I didn't have to come back to say anything because there's nothing that needs to be said. Uh, The message that just came to us this morning is not a summon. There are summons and there are messages. I want you to understand the distinction. I know time is gone. I uh, indulge you for a minute because this is very, very important. A sermon carries you for one day. For one week, perhaps. For a season. A message, on the other hand, carries you for a lifetime. What God just brought to us on the last Sunday of this year is a message that will become a theme that you're going to be hearing for all of 2014. He doesn't know that. I didn't tell him that. I didn't tell him that. But I can show you notes of what God has already given me for 2014. When I said to you that next year will be a year of rest, for some of us, we don't understand what it means. But you will begin to start having understanding from Tuesday night. Because you can only rest when the work is finished. You don't rest while you are working. But when the work is completed, that's when you sit down and rest. And God is saying to his people that you've been running around much too long, over little, over nothing. And that he wants you and I to enter into rest. Amen. A position, a posture where we can receive what has already been completed. Amen. He didn't know all of that. But in one segment of speaking, he crossed the T, dot the I, and gave a direction. That's the only reason you see me up here. Many people, many gifted people have spoken from this platform. I didn't have to come back and say anything. But I'm saying this now because you need to understand how critically important this message is. Thank you very much for your obedience and your sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Hear this. Because I want us to go home with the right paradigm. What I heard him say and what I know God is saying, you have a choice to operate in two systems. If you have a Mac computer, you will never be able to operate Microsoft. They don't go to get Mac and Bill Gates. They are two separate systems. You either like Mac or you like Microsoft or Windows or whatever they call them, hear me? And again, I beg your indulgence because this is absolutely important. I was just in Thailand two, three weeks ago. Their means of currency is called a Thai Baht. B-A-H-T. So when you get to the marketplace, you want to buy anything, the legal tender in that system is the Thai bath. You can have $10,000 in your pocket. If you want to buy Coca-Cola that's 25 cents, you have to pay what? Bath. You can argue all you want and say, you know what, I have $10,000. But you say, go and change it to bath. Because in this system, the legal tender is bath. And so if you want to spend anything in Thailand, it is bad. But then, when my season was up, and I flew from Thailand back to the United States, when I went to the restaurant to eat at Fusion, they know me there, I know them well, I know their menu. I cannot say that because I know you. I'm back in the United States. Let me buy good spicy fried rice. And pay you with bath. They won't accept it. Why? Mm-hmm. In the United States, there's a different system, and the only legal tender that is acceptable to bring result for me in the US is what US dollars. What he just told us is the two systems. You can live under the law. Notice what he said God gave the law. But when he gave it, he understood the limitations. And he did not give it for you to keep because he knew it was only supposed to be a pointer. Dr. Stephen, in Genesis chapter 2, you said something. I don't know if you know what you were saying. I know you're a professor, I know you have to know. Please, indulge me. I normally won't do this. But because I want you to go into the new year pregnant. You cannot have a child if you are not pregnant. In Genesis chapter 2. In verse 15, listen to this. Then the Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. What is the one thing to tell us not to eat? But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. What did he tell us about when you tell your child not to do something? You guys did not hear me. Isn't it what you tell your child not to do that they will do? Yes. What was the only thing God told them not to do? Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why did God say that? Because God knows that's exactly what they're going to eat. Why did He not want them to eat of it? Because it is only through the knowledge of good and evil that law comes. God never intended to rule the world through law. Amen. 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 It is through the knowledge of good and evil. The law comes. Do not steal. Why? It's evil. Don't do it. So good, all the judicial system of the Western world were formed out of the Ten Commandments. The law. Don't do this. Do that. God said from the beginning, don't do it. Don't eat it. Because once you eat it, you bring yourself under the what? Law. You have a choice. It's a whole pattern. This message is simple, but it is profound. It takes a lifetime to work it out. That's the only reason I'm here now, to re-emphasize it. It takes a lifetime. Because we are constantly finding ourselves in the law in grace, in the law in grace God said make up your mind you cannot obey one law and justify yourself because if you break one you break all of them so I want you to understand the proposition you just heard because you're going to hear it all next year all because that's the only way God can be what he wants to be in all of our lives I've read this before but it blew me away to understand that even God said that the law the glory of the law is a fading away glory. Can you imagine that? Oh, please, let me indulge you. Don't go. Second Corinthians chapter 3. What we think was so great in the ministry of Moses as good as it was, hear God's commentary on it. Second Corinthians chapter 3 verse 7. Look at what God calls the law. But if the ministry of death, God calls the law death. How many of you here wants death today? Nobody. If the ministry of death, how do we know he's talking about the law? Look at the next sentence. Written and engraved on stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance. Which glory was what? Passing away. Why did you and I want something that is passing away? How will the ministry of the spirit not be more glorious? If I abandon the law and come under grace, God said, how will it not be much more glorious if the death ministry was good? Verse 9. For if the minister of condemnation had glory, the minister of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. Ah. Verse 11. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. We've been light, though. We've believed a lot. The veil that was upon Moses' face was not because it was, you know, I used to hear, and I used to be, think that the veil was because it was so radiant that the Israelites could not see his face. It's a lie. It's not right here. Verse 13. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. In other words, they covered it up so that the congregation will not see that the thing was fading. I'll leave it alone. Thank you for the message. It's going to take a whole year to break it down and to embrace it because my joy, my delight, and I know God's delight is to bring you and I from that transition where we live in and out under the law, in grace, under the law, in grace, to a place where the work is already finished, it's done, We are living, abiding, embracing the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. May God, who is pregnant in you, bring forth the birth of a glorious new day in your life, in the name of Jesus. Be blessed.